Here we are. This is the last week of our focus on trials. We have been uh, looking at trials in the second half of the book of Acts for the last eight weeks now. And uh, we have looked at Peter and Paul's journey, um, especially Paul, as he has uh, worked so diligently and has experienced uh, many challenges um, in the um, effort to expand the gospel, to build the kingdom of God, to establish churches. Um, and he has uh, sat in front of people of power and authority. Um, he's found himself in prison. He's found himself in mobs where his uh, life is so close to being taken. In fact, he was stoned and thought to be dead. Um, he has experienced quite a bit. Last week, we talked about the trial of delay because he was just left in prison for two plus years at the whim of a leader who was hoping to get money um, from him and also to please those who were really against Paul, even though he found no reason for holding Paul in prison. How difficult is the trial of getting delayed? Well, today we're going to be um, looking at the time when... Um, he experienced and he was being shipped off um, from Caesarea where he had been held for those two years. And because he had appealed to Rome and to Caesar to be heard there as a Roman citizen, um, they were sending him by ship across the Mediterranean Sea on over to Italy where he was going to be, you know, stand trial there. And so we're going to be looking at that sailing journey um, where Paul experienced experiences some serious difficulties, uh, not only him, but the 270 plus people that were on board this ship. And he, he's on a couple different ships as he's making way, but he goes through some significant challenges. And I'm going to uh, talk today about how do we deal with near-death experiences? How do we deal with near-death experiences? I have never experienced a, a near-death experience that shook me to the core or I really walked out of it, um, you know, really changed or scared or anything like that. However, I have experienced a couple when you look back on them and go, that could have been pretty bad. You know, I, as a kid, I had the propensity of tripping and falling into campfires. My parents tell me that as a little toddler running around the you know family campground that I fell in the camp fire no less than three times, literally in the fire, and someone was there to pull me out unharmed. Um, and so it was kind of a running joke for a long time that I just you know wanted to jump in the fire. Um, when I was about 10 years old or so, um, up near where I, in the neighborhood I grew up in, there was this old abandoned, here's the thing, we always called it a bakery. It's an old stone building. I don't think it was a bakery. I think it was a control um, center booth for the water reservoir that was also there. And it was the funnest place to go hang around. It was abandoned, boarded up, but we, the neighborhood kids, found our ways into it. And uh, there was one time, there was quite a, a, a way and tunneling that you needed to go through to get up into this 
building and uh, there was one of them was crawling through this little window like hole or compartment through the concrete reach on over to these uh, like metal bar stairs and climb up and you had to reach across and straight down as you reach across through this window grab the bars is this cistern like thing and we don't know how deep it was there was always water in it um, along with a lot of other things because we as kids we'd pee in it and all kinds of stuff and floating things and everything. And there was one time when I was going back out and I had to reach over from the, the little ladder bar thing over to the window that when I went to, to crawl through, I slipped and I was holding on by just my fingertips on the ledge of that concrete ledge and was going to drop into this cistern. I don't know how I managed to hold on to myself by my fingertips, grab it and get myself through. But I remember when I got out, my heart would, you know, beating like crazy. And I started thinking about what could have happened. Who would have got me out of that thing? It was uh, definitely a, uh, one of those moments where I go, I could have died over some really stupid thing. Um, just uh, not super long ago, a few years ago as a youth pastor, we would take our students whitewater rafting. We were in West Virginia, um, had a group of students, and uh, it kind of turned into a running joke with me and my leaders about this travesty, this you know, terrible accident that took place. Um, it would have been really bad because I think my life was hanging in the balance. Um, the uh, raft guide says to us, he has a raft full of students, myself and a leader or so, that we're about to go through these class five rapids and, and this is a series of rapids and if you go out the boat in the first hit, then you've got to swim to the left and then if you go out, you know, in the second hit, you better swim to the right and if you go out on the third hit, you better stay in the middle. And you're trying to keep all that straight and your heart's racing and all this stuff. Well, we hit that first hit, the first rapid, and that raft tips way up on itch. I mean, it was, it looked like, it felt like a 90 degree perpendicular, you know, uh, to, the, to the water kind of a situation. And the raft is on edge. And I look up, I'm on the side, the downside of the boat, and I look up, and there's a kid in our youth group, no small kid, who is r right across from me and now right above me and f is falling out of the raft right into me. And he just lands, comes straight down on me swooshes me out of the boat. I am in the in the rapids knowing there's another two rapids that I'm going to have to somehow swim through. I'm under the water, which feels like an eternity. I am just like, when am I going to come up? I'm, I don't have the breath. And it, it takes quite a while. And, you know, when you're in a situation and you can't breathe and you're under the water and you don't know when you're going to come up, it, you know, one second feels like an eternity. And so finally, my, my body comes to the surface, gasps for air, and I look, and I am a long way from the, from the raft. And what I see when I see the raft is one person, maybe two people left in the raft, and the rest of all of the students that I'm in charge of are in the, in the water. And I am panicky. I mean, I am so scared. And um, I'm starting to see them pull kids in who didn't go near as far as I did. But I ended up a long distance from the boat. And now I'm thinking, 
Am I supposed to swim left? Am I supposed to swim right? Am I supposed to go in the middle? What am I supposed to do? And I hear the, uh, you know, the laugh, the, the guide is, is yelling at everybody and pointing to me. Well, somehow I get through it. I get back to the raft. They pull me in. I've got water inside. I got water outside. I, and I am, my heart's just racing. And fortunately, we're, we're coming to our planned lunch stop. And I get out of the boat and I'm just like visibly shaking. Like I really felt like, man, I just, I just cheated death, and somehow the students did too. I mean, it was one of those kinds of moments. I just lay on that rock, and and then the stories start coming. You know, pretty soon, I start exaggerating exactly how close to death I was, and it's been an ongoing story for a long time. But we have these, those though I've got you know stories that probably I wasn't really that close to death. Some of you might have times when you know that you really um, were close to death. Maybe you uh, were in a, a major car accident or some other thing that had you in the hospital and your recuperation took months and months and months or something to that effect. And you know what it's like to have um, come so close to uh, meeting the Lord in the afterlife. And I just want to talk a little bit today about how do we handle moving on from moments like this? When you're given a second chance of life, you're given that opportunity to continue on. And uh, Paul, this in these couple chapters of Acts 27 and 28, he cheats death in so many moments. In fact, there's at least five different things we're going to identify later on um, that he, um, you know, he really could have died, should have died, um, given each of these circumstances. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to. Uh, just kind of read through the highlights of Acts 27 and 28 and just kind of looking at these moments that Paul um, really comes very close to death and how he moves forward is going to be our points. So we're going to begin Acts 27 verses 9. It says, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only for the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So Paul's getting warning that this is a pretty dangerous situation. Verse 11, Now Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. We're going to skip up to uh, verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So they're in a major storm. All hope is now gone. They've been throwing um, everything overboard, stuff that at some point in time they decided they needed because they brought it along. Now they're throwing it overboard and now they've been beaten on and they have given up all hope. Verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, 
You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Okay, so here he is. An angel shows up to Paul and encourages him saying, you are going to survive this. You and everyone with you are going to survive this, but the boat's going to be a disaster. It's going to be lost at sea, but you're going to make it. Let's continue reading verse 39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land." So this is a this is a a, a shipwreck. Um, the boat is stuck on the ground. There is uh, you know the the boat is being torn apart by the waves. They decide we're going to kill all the prisoners. We're in a disaster situation. It's better that we kill them than to lose them um, and they escape. But some guys stood up for the prisoners and they listened to them. Now uh, Acts twenty eight verse one. Now when they had escaped. They then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does now um, not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So this is kind of a crazy couple weeks. Um, Paul is being shipped away, several hundred people on this on these ships. Um, he ends up getting into a situation where he's warned. You know, he he believes that this is going to be a very dangerous journey. They go anyway. There's all kinds of um, disaster. They go for long periods of time without eating. There's a, ultimately a shipwreck. They land on some island and then he's bit by a snake. So here we have a couple um, a couple weeks that were pretty crazy. Near death moments. Um, in these 
five different instances, five different things of, of which would shake most of us up. If we experienced even one of them, being lost at sea or starvation for long periods of time. I mean, they, it said they went for like two weeks without food. Um, boat crash. If any of us experienced that, it would shake us up. Um, or let's talk about uh, if uh, all of a sudden they, they say, we've got to kill every prisoner and you're one of them. That's a pretty nerve-wracking situation. And then you get into land and all of a sudden you're bit by a snake and everyone who lives there say, oh, if you get bit by one of those snakes, you're dead. You're, you're not going to make it. All of these are pretty nerve-wracking situations, and Paul experienced them all within just a couple weeks. So the message points that we're going to look at today are keys to walking through near-death experiences. Keys to walking through near-death experiences. Um, before I get into the points that we're going to find from Scripture, I just want to encourage you, if you are someone who's walked through um, one of these kinds of experiences, or you've been shaken to the core, you've found yourself in a very dangerous situation, I want to encourage you to get yourself around people that you can talk to about stuff, whether that be friends, family, or be a counselor. Um, I want to encourage you to not try to um, handle these kinds of feelings and emotions and fears and experiences without processing them and talking about them. And what I mean by that is you've got to get into a setting where you can share the last 10%. Almost all of our conversations with anyone we ever know, um, we withhold about 10% of truth or facts or feelings that we have experienced. Um, for whatever reason, it's just pretty normal and natural um, and protects society, it protects ourselves generally to do that. But we need to find ourselves in settings where we feel safe enough and secure enough where we can share those last 10%, the, the feelings and the emotions and the experiences that really need to be processed in a healthy way. Um, so that being said, I also want to look at how Paul dealt with and how he moved forward from this crazy two-week experience. Um, the first thing that we're going to see Paul did is that he keeps listening for God's voice. He keeps listening for God's voice. Let's read, uh, we already read it, but verse 22 through 24 says, For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid. So here we find that Paul most certainly had continued steadfastly in prayer, in having time with God, even in the middle of this disastrous ship experience. Into the point that an angel shows up, communicates with him, gives him hope, gives him direction, gives him confidence. And friends, when we are in the middle of scenarios and situations that threaten us, that shake us up, um, we need to keep listening for the voice of God. Because when you've experienced uh, uh, high-end situations like this that really shake you to your core, it's easy for a whole lot of noise to fill your brain, to fill your thoughts. Noise such as fear, regret, guilt, victim-minded, um, all are shouting loudly to us in the middle of these um, very traumatic situations. We've got to be people that are in tune with God, that are listening to Him, 
that's letting his voice be the loudest in, in place of all of those really loud voices. And, and Paul somehow was able to hear the Lord speak. Um, and now it took an angel. It took God sending an angel to give him the confidence to speak up, but he did. And, and we serve that kind of God. God wants to intervene in your situation. He does not want to leave you alone with this traumatic experience from the past, but rather he wants to show up. He wants to give you what you need for healing, for for strength, for moving on, for uh, even allowing this traumatic experience to have impact on you going forward in a positive life-giving way for you and for those around you. And I want to then move into these second and third observations from the scripture on how we move forward from these experiences, these traumatic experiences. And the first would be keep looking for God to use you. Keep looking for God to use you. You go through an experience that's very traumatic. I want to um, inform you that God wants to use that in your life and in those around you. Keep looking for God to use you. In fact, we find um, right after Paul finally makes it there, uh, while he's sitting there on the island, he's got the snake bite. Um, he lives through the snake bite. Now everyone's convinced that he's a God. Well, now I want to look at what goes on. So Paul's just been through some traumatic stuff. And now listen to what happens in verse 7. Acts 28, 7 says, In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the land whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So here we have, this is a guy that's just been through five, significantly shaking, um, you know, traumatic experiences. And immediately God wants to use him for the people there in the island. And he avails himself to it. He goes in, he prays for this guy's father and he's healed. And pretty soon people are coming with all of their sicknesses and the diseases. And Paul goes into full on ministry mode. When most of us, after having experienced even one of those five traumatic experiences, probably be shell-shocked and sitting over in the sand saying, no, talk to me. I've got my own issues. And here he is ministering. And I want to encourage you that as you heal, part of the healing process is allowing God to use you. And say, God, I, I'm available to you. Use this story. Use this experience. Use, uh, use the way this has shaped my thinking and how it shaped my faith. Use it for your glory. And as you do that, it's going to bring healing. Um, I want for you to hear Pastor Christian's story. Um, Pastor Christian went through a pretty dramatic experience as a young person just recently having graduated high school at this time. And uh, would you take a listen to his story and how God has used it in his life? When I was 18, I was at a pretty low point in life and I had been making some really bad choices that were leading up to uh, a horrific point uh, experience in my life. And um, I remember the day uh, very vividly, um, the scenes I don't remember as much. Um, actually, my memory was kind of wiped of the accident. 
But uh, at 18, I was driving home from work one night um, and I'd been on my way home and was going on the road and all of a sudden, uh, again, this is words from other people, this is not my experience um, and the fact of my memory was not there. But uh, I got hit by a drunk driver going 80 miles an hour on a back road just right uh, on my way to home and um, I remember uh, sitting there about 24 hours later after all the surgeries, after everything that I had been through, tubes everywhere, um, not really understanding what had happened yet. Uh, family and friends were there and trying to explain and I was in and out and I came to this point in life where, wow, I had really screwed up. I had really messed up. And the only thing that I could think about was the hope that I was never going to be able to find, the hope of the situation that I was in, that I was going to be in this situation for a lifetime. Uh, I spent two weeks in ICU um, and then I had another surgery about two or three months later um, that was kind of the final one. And so during those two or three months, uh, it was some growing pains that I had to go through. And one of the things that I definitely remember during that time was uh, the people that showed up in my life. Now, without that, just like in Paul, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that he was going through, he was really leaning on God. And at that time, I was not having a relationship with God. At that time, uh, I was kind of resisting what God uh, had for me. But God brought people into my life. God brought the church into my life. And it began to shape and mold me into who I am. Instead of the words of, hey, I'm hopeless, there's no hope, I have no way out of this, they began to speak life into me. They began to speak words of encouragement. They began to speak words of, uh, you're going to make it through this, Christian. Everything is going to work out. And in that, there became a mind switch in the fact of, okay, if there is hope, if there is going to be a future, what can I do right now to begin that process? And, you know, it, it was not an easy one. It wasn't something that I was able to do by myself. It was people that God had put in my life uh, strategically that began to help me in that process. And Pastor Joe, uh, one of those big key uh, people that God put in my life at a very pivotal point, um, began to show me what my life could look like with God, what my life could look like with the presence of Jesus in my life. And I grew up in the church knowing it all, but it resisted it for so long because I knew that my way was going to be the best way. And as my mind started to switch and as my perspective started to switch, I started to realize that my purpose didn't lie in all of the values that I found in the world and the values that I found in um, the drugs that I was doing or the, the relationships that I kept bouncing in between. But my hope and my purpose was found in what Jesus had for me. And... It was an easy thing for me, I remember this, that I had two choices. I had the choice of continuing down the victim mindset and just playing, well, you know what, it happened and I'm always going to have bad things happening and it just is what it is. That's the way life is and I'm just going to have to muddle through life. Or the perspective, and this is where people in my life really helped me kind of shape this model. 
okay, you had something happen. How can you grow? How can you get out of this situation? How can you find um, hope in the situation? And then what can you do moving forward? And that's really the one that I began to really process through is, okay, God, you had me go through this for a reason. You had me in a wheelchair for about six months. Why? Why did you do that? And you know, as I'm, as I process now, this is about five or six years ago. Um, I began to look at that. That was probably the best thing that ever happened in my life, because I believe that if I didn't have a wake up call in my own life, that I would have kept slipping down that path. And I probably would have gotten deeper and deeper in the world that I was in. And God knew that I needed a wake up call. He knew that I needed a way out. And so looking at my story at that experience in time, I can only think about the fact that one, it happened for a reason and God still wants to use me. God still wants to be a part of my life. God still wants to, to get me um, to, to a place where he's happy and he, he's very um, excited. And, and then I start to feel that excitement. I start to feel the way that, that I wasn't feeling when I was uh, before my car accident where I was lonely, I had no hope. And now um, I'm able to, to hang out with youth. I'm able to uh, share life and uh, share my story with people um, that are going through maybe not similar things, but things that they're struggling with in life. And I can tell them that, hey, there's hope on the other side. And if I chose that first choice of, it is what it is. I'm just going to have to muddle through life. I think I missed the whole reason why we go through bad experiences. Bad experiences aren't a end all be all that, well, I, I can't get out of this, but God allows for these things to happen. Um, not that he makes these things happen, but he allows for these things to happen so that we can grow and that we can turn our eyes on him. And through that, my eyes have been open. My perspective has changed. Um, I have gone to places in the last five years that I never believed I was able to go. Um, and I know that, you know, now I'm about five months married. And I know that when we start to have kids and we start to bring a family in, that, that those experiences that I went through will shape um, the way that my family um, and the way that I raise my kids and things like that. Because I see the perspective, bad experiences aren't the end all be all, that God has a hope and a plan and a future for every one of us. And I'm super excited that I'm able to share my story. So we've talked about moving forward from these traumatic experiences, and I want to take a look at the third um, encouragement and the third thing that Paul did, and that is this. Keep telling your story like it's God's story. Keep telling your story like it's God's story, because it is God's story. God has put you through experiences or allowed you to have these experiences, um, not just for your own story, but for the sake of his story, for the sake of his testimony and his redemption and his protection and his care of our lives. The Lord wants to use your story to um, 
impact others to understand his story. Through all of Paul's trials, he kept telling a story and adding to it. Now, did you ever, did you notice as we were walking through the book of Acts here, how many times Paul had the opportunity to tell a story? He's standing in front of a governor here. He's standing in front of a, a group of people here, a mob there, and he tells a story. He tells it again. He talks about the road to Damascus and how the Lord showed him um, who he was. And he talked about how he lost his eyesight for that time. And that guy, Ananias, he came and prayed for him. And he was his eyes were open, not only physically, but spiritually. And he kept telling a story. And then as he went, it seemed like his story kept getting longer and longer and longer because more experiences had come into his life, more redeeming stories, more, more times when God intervened in his life. And his story just kept getting more and more um, involved and uh, more glorifying to God how God had been with him. And he kept doing it. In fact, we find the very last verses in the book of Acts, in Acts 28, um, this is exactly what Paul is doing. Listen to it. Um, verse 30 says this, when then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. This is when he's in Rome. And he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord, Jesus Christ, with all confidence and no one forbidding him. So what we have here is Paul, you know, we, we don't really get super detailed as to how Paul's life ends. We do believe that Paul, Paul's life was taken, that he died a martyr's death, more than likely in Rome. But for these couple years, and he finished his life out continuing to tell his story. He's in this rented house. No one's forbidding him from doing this. And people are coming and they're hearing the gospel. And I'll bet you that almost everybody that came heard about the road to Damascus. I'm sure that probably most everyone who came heard about the being stoned in Iconium and um and other places. And uh, he probably heard about the shipwreck and they probably heard about the snake bite. All of these things made his story a redeeming story. All of these experiences made Paul um, the ambassador for Christ that he was to be. And it's when we go through trials and challenges, difficult circumstances, that our faith gets refined. It gets fine-tuned. It, it, it gets to this place where we are talking for Him, not for us anymore. It gets to this place where um, the words that God gives us and the experiences He gives us can be used to direct people to Him. Because we realize as we go through these trials that it, these are bigger than us. They're bigger than you and me. Um, so many times we should not um, handle them. We should not process them. We shouldn't survive them. This is, this is life. And we find here that God's walking with us every single moment for His sake. And for our sake, he is walking with us. And so as you process the challenges that you're currently going through, some of them very profound, some of them um, experiences that the people around you don't understand um, because they're your story. But I want to also remind you that they're also God's story. They're God's redeeming story in your life. 
Um, we're, we're about to launch into a focus on the Christmas season. I very want to invite you to come along with us the next several weeks as we take a look at the Christmas presents. Um, and as we take a look at the way in which God shows up, He makes Himself present in um, this world and how He did that through the Christmas narrative um, and, and what it means for you and me today. It's very powerful. And so would you join me? Bring someone along with you to, to uh, join the Christmas Presents series starting next week. But in the meantime, submit your trials to the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Realize God wants to use my story. He wants to use this experience, and He wants me to keep telling my story as if it's God's story. Father, Thank you for each one, O oh Lord, who's been following along um, in this series and how we realize, God, that the trials in our lives, Lord, are not there by accident, but they are there um, and you want to use them for your purposes, Lord. They are to tell the redeeming story of Christ and in our lives. And I pray, God, that that the, the circumstances that have been too heavy, um, the trials that have been too challenging, um, God, that they would find you so present in their life, so real, they would recognize how you have been walking with them, Lord. And I pray, God, that, that each testimony that's being developed in our lives, God, would be told and retold for your glory. God, those who are really needing your intervention um, in a trial, I pray, God, they would see a miracle and that they could be added to your, to, to your story as they would tell it so faithfully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.